0: Hola, hola, mi gente, ¿qué tal? It's the girl Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are tuning into the one and only Hello Latino podcast. Today, I'm talking to Sandra Velasquez, a Mexican-American founder of No Palera, which is an iconic and culture-forward bath and body brand that celebrates and elevates Latino culture and, of course, Latinx goods she launched nopalera in the middle of the pandemic y'all from her brooklyn apartment with no outside funding or savings while working as a sales and distribution manager in new york city i mean she gives you a little more of the in this episode but this brand attracted dream retailers like nordstrom free people and has been featured over 60 national publications. Sandra also hosts the Nopalera podcast, which shows her journey of building a brand in real time while sharing stories of others in the community to inspire other entrepreneurs. She gives you a little bit of that sauce in this episode, so let's jump into it. All right, and we're here. Hola, Sandra. I'm so, I was just sharing with Sandra earlier that I'm fangirling a little bit because Nopalera is so cool. And Sandra, you are just such a, you're becoming this huge staple in the community and just, I think every entrepreneur's inspiration. So thank you for being here and I'm excited to dive into your story. Thank you so
1: much. I appreciate that.
0: Let's start with the first question. This is how I start every podcast episode. It's how do you identify and why?
1: Uh, It's so funny. I was just having this conversation with, I was on a call. I identify as Chicana. And that's because I grew up, I'm a border child. I grew up near the border. So very much a Mexican-American experience. You know, very much like going back and forth. I grew up with a lot of Chicano culture around me. You know, there's Chicano Park. You know, everyone, I felt like everyone was Mexican-American growing up because I grew up in San Diego. So that's how I identify and why. And I never called myself Latina when I was, you know, in high school. That's really like a term that came more to being as an adult where we try to, you know, just group us all together. But I identify as Chicana.
0: Yeah. So I'm from San Diego, too. And I grew up around a lot of Mexican American culture and being Honduran. I always felt like the different Latina, right? I was like, oh, I don't like spicy. I like (laughs) plátano. Or, you know, we dance merengue, not like corridos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I know that so many of my friends grew up as border kids and grew up going back and forth from Tijuana to San Diego. Like, talk to me about that experience of being a border child. Like, what does that mean? What was your life like growing up? Like, give us,
1: give us, paint the picture for us. Uh, You know, it's so funny because I didn't realize it until I left what it was, because when you're growing up, everything is normalized. You're like, oh, everyone's Mexican. Everyone speaks two languages. Everyone listens to Cumbia at home and then Led Zeppelin in the car. You know, this very like bicultural experience was very, very normal in San Diego. And it still is. And it wasn't until I moved to New York in 1999 that I felt out of place, like, Everyone was Puerto Rican. Everyone was Dominican here in New York. And it's still very much Caribbean heavy here in New York. And so that's when I realized that, wow, I have grown up for like 20 plus years of my life just being surrounded by people that were very much that understood my experience. I never had to explain myself, you know. So it's really until you take yourself out of context that, you know, you, you get a clearer picture of how the where you sit in the cultural landscape in this country.
0: Oh, my God. That is so true. And I can't imagine being a border kid and then going to the East Coast. And then it's like you're so far
1: removed from home. Like what was what was that change like for you? Honestly, I've been in New York for almost well for 24 years now. And I still feel out of place. Still. And yes, because there are every time I go back home to San Diego, I was just there this weekend because my mother turned 70. So I went for her birthday but there's just, there's no Chicano culture here. You know, there are Mexican, there is a growing Mexican community in New York, but they are new arrivals to the city. Whereas I grew up with people that, you know, we, like our parents came to, you know, to the United States. And so we were born here. So we grew up with this like bicultural reality and that the Mexicans in New York just haven't been here long enough to have another generation of people like myself. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I see. So, yeah, the first thing that I when I got to New York, I was like, "Where, where is the food? <laughs> where, <clears throat> why is it so hard to find decent Mexican food? It's gotten better, but it's nothing compared to living in California, where it's like literally, which place should you go to? Like, they're all in a 6 Oh my six God. Radius.
0: I mean, even not just California, San Diego. San Diego just has oh. Top tier. I I've lived I've lived different places around California and nothing compares
1: to San Diego Mexican food. I know. I'm like really blessed. Really, really <laughs> spoiled. I know. So and, that was for me the biggest cultural thing, right? Is just, whoa, not everyone is like me and not every Latino is like me, you know. That when I moved to New York, that was a big wake up call.
0: Did you feel like when you moved to New York that you really stepped into your chicana-ness, or do you feel like you started to really tap into like this Latino Latina mindset, or did you just like what was that identity for you? How did you navigate that?
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone here refers to themselves as Chicano or Chicana in New York. I just don't think that there's a huge population. I mean, if there any if there's anyone that does identify that way, I have not met them. (laughs) And so, growing up in San Diego, I think the difference too is that when you grow up in this country, people just refer to you as the heritage of your parents. So growing up, I was. I would just say, like, I'm Mexican. If, you know, but then if you go to Mexico, they're like, but you're American. Don't you live in, a, weren't you born in America? So it depends. It's everything is context. And so I really kind of, like, grew into, like, my Chicano identity, I think, like, as a young adult in California. And then moving to New York, I feel like I almost, not like I had to let it go, but no one knew what that meant. <laughs> so it was like, what was the point of trying to explain it to people? You know, And and I still, you know, Don't really explain to people because you either know or you don't know, you know?
0: Yeah. And speaking of like that educational piece, for those who don't know what Chicano or Chicana means, can you give us context on what that means for the Mexican American community?
1: Yeah. I mean, Chicano is like half of, you know, the Mexica, where like the, you know, the indigenous people that lived in Mexico. And so that is where the term Mexico came from. It came from the Mexica. And so Chicano and Chicana is literally just that in half. Instead of like Mexicano, it's Chicano. So that's, you know, that's kind of where it comes from. And it's just a Mexican-American identity. It's very much rooted, like, there are no Chicanos in Mexico, right? Chicano is is a Mexican-American identity. And I think it's very strong in border towns, Texas, you know, Southern California, you know, Arizona. So... That's what it means. And and he it's kind of like here in New York, I had never heard the term Boricua until I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Because that's a very New York, you know, term that's used here. Because there's just a lot of Puerto Ricans here in New York. Or also like New Yorican. You know, that's an identity here, like the New York Puerto Ricans. That's very specific to this part of the country. You yeah. Know?
0: Oof, I think I always say that's what makes Latinidad so beautiful is just the... It's like almost this quilt of different cultures and sazones and flavors that you just get and just makes it so beautiful. I want to move on to and talking about Nopalera because the cool, the thing that is so impressive about you, Sandra, amongst so many other things is this entrepreneurial journey that you've taken that I feel like in my eyes probably not for you but for me like I saw it as like super lightning speed I'm like whoa she was on like pandemic to shark tank to Nordstrom and it all started with just you know you in your in, in your room and like thinking of this idea like talk to me about this process of building Opalera. how did it start and where is it now
1: yeah so the process starts with me panicking because I'm unemployed and I have no money and I'm in my forties. That's how the story really starts, and when we have we're in those moments of self-reflection and those moments where we even we actually have time to think because we are unemployed or something has happened, uh, a change has happened. It forces you to be creative because it was really like, am, how am I forty? you know, three? I have no savings, I have student loan debt, I don't own a house, I don't own a car, I have a child. And I have nothing to show for anything that I have done, because up until that point, I had been a performing musician. So I had really dedicated myself to like my passion, my creative outlet. You know, I wrote songs. I was a leader of the band Pistolera. We toured, we released albums. And it was great. But music is rough. You know, like there's money comes, money goes, money comes, money goes. And because I live in New York, never had an opportunity to save. I never had a savings account. So here I am like now unemployed in my 40s. And I'm like something has got to change, you know, and it's really time for me to get out of my comfort zone and to actually build something. And I knew from working for other brands, you know, that beauty was a category with a lot of opportunity, really strong margins Mm -hmm. compared to like food and beverage, which the margins are really low. And I just saw the opportunity to build, again, like a high-end Latina brand, really to celebrate the culture through a brand and a product because I had already been doing that through music. I used my, my musical platform as the place where I celebrated and championed my culture. I sang in Spanish. I sang about women's rights, immigrants' rights. And so now I was just transferring that passion, that mission over to a product brand. The only problem is that I had no money to start a brand or a company, and I didn't even know how to get products made. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm like, okay, well, so I enrolled in formulation school, and I, learned, I studied formulation for a year. I learned how to make the products. I made the products myself for the first year. And, you know, I want to just make the distinction that the reason I did that is not because I don't want to glamorize DIY or like making everything yourself because that's not scalable. I only did it that way because I had no other resources and I literally did not know how to get products made. (laughs) So now I do. Now I have manufacturing partners. And so I used my credit card for everything because, you know, it's like when you're in debt and you have nothing to lose, like, what do you have to lose? I'm like, what's another... $4,000 $4,000 on my credit card, you know, I can pay that off over time. I've always had debt my whole life. So, you know, it wasn't a big deal to me. What are they going to come take away my house that I don't own? You know, so I just, I just did everything on a payment plan. Like I can't stress enough that this entire brand was built on a payment plan because I would wow. buy what I needed and then, you know, make stuff and then I would like pay it off over time. Even my branding, which I knew was going to be an important investment for Nopalera, I paid on a payment plan. I asked my designer, "Hey, I don't have money to pay for the branding. Can you? Can we space it out over five months?" And luckily, she said yes. And that was the only way that I was able to pay for the branding on all the packaging, pay for the you know the like the tins and the, you know. So anyway, that's really how it was born, <laughs> you know. <Wow>. And, um, <laughs> and I just put a lot of effort—not effort. What's the word? Like a lot of thought, a lot of intentionality behind the brand from the very beginning, because again. I'm not like 20. I'm in my 40s at this point. So I'm like, if I'm going to do something, it's going to be stellar. I'm going to make it so that it's going to be so beautiful and so overly Latina that that Latinas are going to see it and immediately recognize themselves in the brand. And they're going to be attracted to it. And I'm also going to make it so beautiful that other people that are not Latina and don't even know what an opal is are going to also be attracted to it and want to be a part of it. And so that was very intentional. And that's exactly what has happened.
0: Wow. I mean, look at the, I'm looking at the nopalera in the background. I'm like, yes, it's just so beautiful. How, like, what, what was the root intentionality? Because I know you weren't just like, oh, I want the pretty colors and I want nopales. Like, I, there was so much more story behind that. Can you tell me, like, what's the, what's the story behind the intentionality with nopales, with the branding, et cetera?
1: Well, you know, nopales are something that we grew up eating, so it's very Mexican. Uh, My parents have a nopalera in their front yard, so for anyone that doesn't know, nopalera is just the name of the cactus when it's in the ground, like the name of a cactus patch or, you know, when we cut them and we eat them, we call them nopales. When it's still a plant in the ground, it's a nopalera, and here is this plant that I've literally grown up with my whole life, Total, it's everywhere in Southern California. I mean, you can't not see nopales when, if you live in Southern California or the Southwest, and yet it, it has been kind of like overlooked, right? Everything, we have tons of beauty products with aloe vera, right? And, but nopales are actually more sustainable. They're re- highly regenerative. Like you cut off a pad and a new one grows. Like my parents just keep eating from the same nopalera. They keep cutting, you know, pencas. Oh, wow. They make, no, you know, ensalada de nopal and new ones just keep growing and they just keep cut, you know, it's just so regenerative. It's amazing. And so I just wanted to center the brand around this plant because of its symbolism. Culturally, every Mexican person knows what nopales are. It's on the Mexican flag. And there's a whole legend and beautiful history behind, you know, why there's a nopalera on the Mexican flag, which, you know, people can look up. But so as an ingredient, you know, it's great. As a cultural story, it's it's it doesn't get any more Mexican than the nopal and (laughs) And so the idea was to take this plant that has been, that is ancient, that's resilient, that's multi-beneficial, that can be used for many things, a- aside from just being a food source, you can also use it you know, to cleanse your skin and hair and to create an entire brand around this and, and center it around the resilience and the beauty of the culture. You know, so there is a reason why I chose the nopal and not like another plant, or not just building a brand and trying to use just any kind of ingredient, it's, it all starts with the nopal. That was inspiration. And it was really to disrupt the Eurocentric beauty space because it's all French and Italian brands in the premium space. And so everything I do has like a social, political under, underpinning, um, yeah. even when I wrote songs, you know, I, it was like fun dance music and it was cumbia. You could, you know, you could dance to it, but the lyrics were serious. And so for me, this was also a subversive move. Like, I'm going to build this beautiful brand. that's going to be so Latina, but it's going to be so Mexican. So, you know, you're going you're gonna to have to love and appreciate the beauty of Mexican culture, even if you didn't before. Or if previously you thought some, that it wasn't, you know, it, this is going to change the landscape. And, and yeah, so it's really to, you know, to disrupt that Eurocentric beauty space. And to be able to give Latinos something to be proud of in that space, because we spend so much money in that category. And why are we not seeing ourselves on shelves?
0: That's so funny. I just saw a TikTok video about this one girl that's like, I'm going to spend like $400 on all these beauty products. And then the man is like, I'm going to spend $10 on a five-in-one beauty product (laughs) for shampoo, conditioner, face wash, all of it. It just reminded me of that because I think we do spend so much. I think from like a Honduran, a Latina woman perspective, beauty was a big thing in my family. Like la cara, and then it's almost like those like what do they call it? Like wives' tales. Like mm-hmm. my mom was like la cosa del anciano. Like she would be like ponete en el pelo, aguacate. You know, like these random beauty things that we would do. And the thing that you heard the most growing up, or at least for me, is La Belleza Cuesta. La Belleza Cuesta. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to see a beauty brand that is really Latino-centered, Mexican-centered, I I don't think I've ever seen it before. And it's funny because I saw, before I knew your story, I went to this little shop in San Diego. You probably know where it is. It's in North Park. It's like a little Latino spot, all these little trinquitos and Yeah. And I saw no palera there. And I'm like, this is such cool branding. I literally was pulled to it because of its branding. And then I bought the first one. And I loved it. And it was like, I didn't even know your story. I didn't even know the beauty behind the story. I really was just more fascinated with, finally, we have something that's like, different, and not
1: more of the same, especially in the beauty world. Yeah. And I, I really intentionally wanted to create a premium Latina brand because there's already, we don't need another candle with Frida Kahlo. We don't need another like, you know, concha, you know, bath bomb. So I really wanted to stay away from kitsch because that is how people associate Mexican culture is like this, like trinket kitsch. And, and I'm like, no, our culture is rich and beautiful and it deserves the same price tags. So that was all very yes, intentional.
0: Yes, What did it,
1: building this what did it do for
0: you like in in terms of your culture and identity did it make you feel closer to ser mexicana in a place in new york where there wasn't a lot of representation like i'm just curious what it did for you was it therapeutic was it healing was it embracing like what was that feeling
1: well you know when i moved to new york in 1999 and then i started pistolera in like 2004 i think we released our first album 2005 so for like 20 years, I have literally almost 20 years, I've been celebrating my culture. And, and I think that that is why I actually started the band Pistoletta to begin with, be, to to your point, to like bring the culture here to New York, yeah. you know, and and feel more at home here on the East Coast. And so I've already been doing that for for years, you know, and so I just this whole thing of like celebrating my culture and being loud and proud, like this is not a new thing. I have literally been doing this since, you know, (laughs) 2005. Yeah. (laughs) So so I guess the answer to your question is like, yes, but I just carried it over. You know, I mean, I I started a band called Pistolera, you know, and Mm -hmm. I sang only in Spanish on purpose, you know, so. yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. Like Selena vibes. (laughs) 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 I want to talk about No palera in payment plans to Nordstrom to Shark Tank? Like, what's that second half of the journey of like you figuring out the branding, doing the payment plan? And then how did all these
1: subsequent opportunities come about? Yeah, well, remember, I I was a beauty industry outsider, so I didn't know. I didn't have any network. I didn't know any people in the beauty industry. I didn't know any contract manufacturers. I didn't know how to get things made. So everything from the moment I have started has been me trying to learn and to make new connections and put myself in new rooms. And I haven't stopped. I'm still doing that now. You know, it's it's getting easier because now I do feel like I'm on the inside, like people know who I am. You know, I go to the beauty trade shows and I see familiar faces and but it took a lot of effort to like cross over into a whole new industry where no one knew who I was, you know, because a lot of my competitors, a lot of the bigger competitors are people that worked in the industry. And so they already had connections. They already had relationships. They knew which labs to go to, you know, like the founders of Soldish NATO or the founders of Necessaire. They're all like former Estee Lauder, you know, employees. And, and I'm like, and here I am, I'm like the lead singer of a band. (laughs) And so I think that, you know, (laughs) you know, the, the lesson is just to, if you really want to learn something, you have to go out and get it. No one is coming to your house to give you something like you have to go out and and get the knowledge, get the information, make the, you know, re- build the relationships. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And so every accelerator, I was in four accelerators last year. What does that mean? It means that I applied to them. Right. So, again, like every opportunity that I could find, everything that got came across my desk, I applied and Shark Tank, I applied, right? No one came and discovered me, right? Like I went and I applied for everything and then worked really hard to get people to say yes, you know?
0: Mm. Did you get no's when you were putting in those applications?
1: Yeah, a couple. I mean, and then raising money is really hard because I got a lot of no's there as well. So Um. the beauty of, uh, no pun intended, the beauty of coming from a music background is that I have a lot of experience with rejection and I think that that is something that has served me so well in building a brand because if you are going to be a first-time entrepreneur or you're going to go out and build something for the first time and you've never experienced rejection it's going to be hard when you get your first hater it's going to be really hard when something doesn't work out it's going to be really hard when someone says no to you but I have been rejected for like decades you know all of music school like auditions and you know Trying to book my own tours and you know people not responding to my emails, like I know that so well that that resilience muscle has served me really well as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. And what tips do you give to entrepreneurs now? I know you just gave a ton, but those who maybe don't know where to start but have this idea and this burning like feeling like I want to create something that is not there, What tips do you give to those entrepreneurs that are just trying to find their groove and getting started?
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing is to know why, like what it is that you want to create and then why, because your why has to be so strong that it has to carry you through all like the, the the valleys because it's so hard. You know, even now, like I have a team, I raise capital. It's still so hard. It's still stressful. You know, I still have to manage my stress. I go to like the doctor to get like, what supplements can I take to like help me not panic? You know, it's hard. So you have your why, you know, like has to be so strong, you know, and it can't just be, well, because I like to make stuff or because I because I like it, you know, because when you're creating a a business or a brand, you are you are in the service industry. You are of service to your customers, because if you don't have customers, you don't have money, you don't have business. So what is that service that you're providing? Right. For us, like we're championing, you know, our culture. And we are helping people feel seen and proud and disrupting the beauty industry at the same time. Because for me, it's really about there's like the before no palera and then there's after no balera in the beauty industry. And that that mission and that why has to be so strong. You have to be so passionate about that because there are, there are days where it just sucks, you know? So I think determining what do you want to build and making sure that you really understand that this is a business that you're building. Um, and it's not just something you like to do, you know, because, for example, I was talking to my friend the other day and he was like, yeah, I I used to think that I wanted to like open a wine bar because I love wine. I love like sipping wine. I loved, you know, but then it's like when you really think about opening a wine bar, you're talking about, OK, the the bathroom is clogged. There's an angry customer there. You know, you have to stay there seven days a week, day and night. Right. So he's like, that's not really. It turns out I don't really want to own a wine bar. It turns out I just like to drink wine, mm-hmm. and so if you just like to make soap, just make soap, enjoy. But do you want to? If you want to build a soap business, then we're talking a whole other thing, you know?
0: Yeah, and I I want to touch on you know May is um mental health awareness month, and there was you just mentioned that you also have stress, and I think that's really powerful because from the outside you see this really successful entrepreneur who, you know, it can seem like, oh, Sandra has it all together. She is so like, she's so good. Talk to me about those moments when you're like waking up and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to do this today. Like, you know, how do you, how do you get through that? How do you give yourself grace? What do you do for yourself in those moments?
1: Yeah, I think I've never woken up and said, I don't want to do this. It's more that I wake up in a panic, like, oh, shit, I have to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And this these things have to get done. And and the fear, uh, it's like when you don't have money, it's like, what is there to lose? You don't have any money to lose. But when you have money and you have now employees, now the fear of losing money is actually stronger than it was before. Mm -hmm. Because now we have money. Right. And and so that working on your mindset is a whole other thing, you know, working on your mindset. If you come from scarcity and this is something I didn't really know until I started Nopalera, that I had a lot of like old money wounds related to how it was raised around money. And and my parents are great. It's not like they they were they didn't talk about money, but, you know, you learn and absorb things by the way, you know, you see your family live and I realized that, you know, in my family, there is a fear of money, which is so weird. Like, there's this fear of money that money equals problems, money equals responsibility, money. So, it's almost better, like, to not have money. Cause if then, if you don't have money, that you don't have to worry as much. And that took, that takes a lot of unlearning, you know? So, there's, I'm still, I think the thing that I still have to work on so much is that part of it. You know, is like the identifying these like thoughts and fears and understanding where they come from. Why do I even think that? Why do I feel this way? And then having to, you know, write a new story in my head. And that's an ongoing process. It's not like, oh, I read a book and now I'm good, you know, or like I did a meditation once and like now I'm good. This is an ongoing thing. And it, I have made progress, but it's it's an ongoing work that you have to do on yourself.
0: Oh, my God, 100%. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if we could just meditate and then it's all healed and gone? <laughs> Last question on nopalera, because I feel like this product is so amazing. Was this something that you used? Just a personal question. Did you use like nopales when you were growing up? Was this something that was like, oh, ponete nopale en la cara, like, you know, like the aguacate, mayones in the hair? Was this part of your routine as a kid?
1: It wasn't. I grew up eating nopales. So I grew up eating nopales and my parents, we always had them growing up, you know, again, like cut them from the yard, you know, make ensalada de nopal. And so it wasn't until I started learning how to make soap, because again, I'm unemployed, I have free time and I'm like, let me start learning something. And the recipe called for aloe vera and I didn't have any, but I was like, oh, let me, hear some nopales instead. Let me just substitute that. And that's kind of the lightning moment, the lightning bolt moment Of like, how come no one has used nopales? They're like, they're so abundant and they're so eco-friendly and they're so, you know, multi-purpose and um, highly regenerative, all these things. So that's actually how how it came to be because I didn't have the right ingredients.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. The fact that you put yourself through school, Sandra, is so, (laughs) like, it reminds me of something my mom always says. She said, el que el quien quiera with you know like mm-hmm. whoever wants to do it can do it you just have to just do it the fact that you were like well you know what let me just do this because yeah. no queda de otra like you know you just pretty gotta much. do it yeah pretty like much like that that yeah. is incredible and I think it just I think for everyone listening I, I hope that it just inspires you to get up and just do the thing that you've been thinking about and maybe it doesn't work and that's fine but
1: at least you did it And then maybe it could work. Yeah. Yeah. And you can learn anything, you know, if you really want to. And I think that it's, you know, I did it because I was in a moment of discomfort. So I think, you know, what I've learned now in retrospect is that if you're comfortable in your life, you're probably not likely to go out and venture to do something new because you already have a job. The bills are paid. There's food in the fridge. Like everything is good. Why would you disrupt that? When it is disrupted and you're like, oh, then that is where you have to really get courageous and creative. And so there is this thing of, you know, courage or comfort, like choose one. It's really hard to have both, you know, because if a lot of people are already comfortable and there's nothing wrong with that, great. If you like how your life is, then you're just going to keep it the way it is. You know what I mean? This is why people stay in their jobs for like 30 years. They're like, no, everything's fine. But if you're not comfortable that's what's going to force you to like be courageous to do something else.
0: Man. And I think the pandemic really kind of shook a lot of people up. I mean, the podcast came about during the pandemic, so many different products and and content came about during the pandemic. And I think it's a a sign of what you're just saying, like the discomfort can bring out so much more creativity and moments just with yourself where you're like, Oh,
1: this is what I'm passionate about. I don't really care Mm -hmm. about corporate. Yeah, and you know, in the moment it sucks because who who doesn't who likes to be dis you know uncomfortable, right? But I think to your point, the pandemic really showed people like oh, like I can this is a good opportunity to like I don't really like this,
0: yeah. <laughs> let me change it, you know. And you know, it reminds me so much of. I'm not an immigrant, so I don't know that immigrant experience, but I think if I were to equate it to anything, it would be that feeling of like, my parents came here in a very uncomfortable position, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, trying to build a whole family and get a house and get a job and all these systemic barriers. And I always say, immigrants navigate the shit out of a world that was not Mm -hmm. created for them. And I think... That's what makes them so great. That's what makes, you know, their generation so great to shout us out. But, you know, I think that immigrant experience of being so uncomfortable and how they were able to build from that discomfort, like we have that power in us as well. And I feel like I'm hearing that in your story and just that grit, that resilience, that hustler mentality that I'm going to put myself
1: through school and learn how to do this. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's, I also have to shout out my mom because she is an immigrant. She came here when she was an adult, spoke no English, learned English, went to community college, put herself through, you know, state school, then went to law school. And then, you know, she was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a lawyer. And then went to law school, you know, and it's, it's that same, like, let me just do it (laughs) kind of attitude. And so I really had that model to me. And so I'm really grateful for that because not everyone has that.
0: Oh, shout out! She also turned 70, right? You yeah, just she just
1: turned 70. Yeah.
0: Happy belated birthday to <laughs> La Mamá <de> Sandra! <laughs> I, yes. I'm really, I'm really grateful that you're sharing this journey about No Palera because I feel like there's almost—I don't know if you felt this—I probably, probably, maybe when you were younger, when you were first starting this band, because I'm like, it sounds like she's been a hustler from the beginning. But I think there's often this fear. Of do I choose, to your point, comfort and stability? Or do I choose this route of creativity and passion? And I feel like sometimes our community, because we come from a lot of scarcity, because a lot of our situations aren't stable, success equals stability in a lot of cases. You were an artist. Before No even came about, you were an artist. Like, How did you navigate? Did you ever feel that like stability, creativity, passion? Like how did you navigate those worlds?
1: Yeah, I because I live in New York, which is a very expensive place to live. I always had to have a day job. And so I found an easy one that didn't suck my energy. Um, I worked at a college as a college administrator. So I had the college or like the school schedule. So it was like a month off for Christmas, spring break, all of summer off. You know, I had all these vacation, massive, massive. The only way you can have that kind of vacation schedule is if you're actually a teacher. And so I pretty much had like the teacher vacation schedule because I worked at a college and I kept that as my job for like health insurance. I I was paid so poorly. Like this is why I never had any money (laughs) because (laughs) I was so underpaid. But I was like, where am I going to find a job that gives me health insurance that allows me to tour? you know, and have so much freedom of time. And so that's why I I worked there for so long. And so that was so I kind of like, did both I kind of ha- I needed like a little bit of stability, but I also really wanted to dedicate my time and energy to like my creative endeavors. So that's how I did it, you know, because I could never be just like, just the starving artist. Like I had so many music friends who were just living off of gigs and like, you know, I'm like, no, that's I need a little more. So
0: and respect to it. All right. Like I'm hearing you and I feel so seen because I do both. And I'm always there was a point in my life where I decided to leave my nine to five. It was still a great move, but I moved because I'm like, let me be the starving entrepreneur and try to figure this out. And I quickly learned for my own mental health. No, sir, I can't do that. So Mm -hmm. I now I've been for the last few years balancing a nine to five and also the podcast and a business and everything else that comes with just life. And it's so nice to know the bills are paid and I get to still pour into this passion. It almost makes it easier to pour Mm -hmm. into the passion because you're not relying on it for income, Mm -hmm.
1: right? Yeah. You're not stressed out about how is the rent going to get paid?
0: Right. So that just inspired me to own it because I'm always like, oh,
1: am I an entrepreneur? I am. I'm half an entrepreneur. I'm half well, career No, woman. <laughs> you are a full entrepreneur. Um, and listen, I think the other way to think of it is like people who are entrepreneurs, they have multiple revenue streams. So it's no different than having like, oh, yeah, so I have this like job over here. I also do this over here. And then I also run a business over here. That's how the actual people that have wealth, like they don't just do one thing, you know, No, you're right. You're right. I see J-Lo, right, doing all the things. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, my God. Sandra, thank you so much for being here and talking about Nopalera, talking about your story. I want to end with one quick brindis with, I don't know if you have cafecito, water. I drink way too much coffee, so I have have water coffee. (laughs) But I want to close with a brindis and I want to give you the space to say what you want to cheers to and what you want to manifest for the Latino community, the Mexican community, Chicano community, whatever you Mm. decide.
1: Mm, Thank you for that opportunity. I would like to toast to all of us that we all stand in our power and recognize our worth and dream big. And understand the impact that we can have when we do stand in our power.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Salute to that. Gracias, Mm -hmm. Sandra. Cheers. We have to drink. Bad luck if
1: we Mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing No Paleta with the world because it's needed. It's needed. Thank you so much. I
1: appreciate
0: it. Y'all can connect with Sandra on any platform Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, OSA. Look up No Palera, look up Sandra Velasquez, and she will pop up. And I'll see y'all next week for more Cafecito en Chisme. For all Hello Latino updates, follow Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram and find me on LinkedIn. And more information is on my website, Hello dot Y con mucho amor, andreña. Abrazos.